0: Our Bible reading this morning is from Acts chapter 4. The sermon we'll be addressing from verses 1 through to 31, but our reading will stop short of that. Acts chapter 4. Today is the third in our series. We've been looking at the community of Jesus, the community of the church. We've looked at it being a faithful community. It is a community that is together, and today we're looking at how it should be a bold community. So let's read Acts chapter 4, starting at verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, that is, Peter and John, the chief priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, Greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest. And Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power, or by what name, did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. But in order that they may spread no no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Our loving Father, we thank you for this occasion. We thank you that we have recorded here this powerful act of your Holy Spirit. And we ask, Lord, that as we look through it today, your Spirit will teach us and encourage us in the name of your Son. Amen. According to Wikipedia and this is probably the only time you will hear that word mentioned from my lips, (laughs) according to Wikipedia, the haka is a ceremonial dance or challenge in Maori culture. It is a posture dance performed by a group with vigorous movements and the stamping of feet with rhythmically shouted accompaniment. Accompaniment. Although commonly associated with the traditional battle preparations of male male warriors, haka have long been performed by both men and women. And several varieties of the dance fulfill social functions within Maori culture. Haka are performed to welcome distinguished guests or to acknowledge great achievements, occasions, or funerals. Now, according to Australian sport, the harker is intimidating. Now, I know the description I've just given is not very intimidating at all. Stomping of feet and that sort of thing. But I'm sure when you are faced with a harker, it is intimidating. According to the dictionary, dictionary dictionary.com, the definition of bold is not hesitating or fearful in the face of actual or possible danger or rebuff, courageous and daring. In Australian sport, being bold looks like this. That is Sam Scott Young famously winking at the Kiwi haka. Some of you may remember Sam Scott Young left the field early that day with blood coming down his head. Us Aussies love the courageous underdog, don't we? Whether it be on a sporting field, whether it be a soldier, whether it be a cricketer, boldness in the face of of adversity and intimidation, is the Aussie way. Whilst boldness might be the Aussie way, the question we have to ask is, is it the Christian way? For the early church, boldness meant being faithful in the face of fear. Faithful in the face of fear. The faith of early Christians could be described as bold. We just read that through in these verses. Their faith could be described as bold, but is that how our faith could be described? Would our kids describe us as bold? Would our work colleagues? Would our neighbours describe us as bold? As we look at the example of Peter and John and the early followers of Jesus we'll see that their boldness consisted of three things they were convicted of their messiah sorry they were convinced of their messiah they were confident in their message and they were committed to their mission convinced of their messiah confident in their message and committed to their mission. Now, as a bit of background to what we've read today, Peter and John are walking to the temple and they notice this cripple man begging at the entrance to the temple. And you might, I'm sure you've, rem- you know, the song that goes with this. Peter says, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And what does the man do? Yes, he went walking and leaping and praising God. And everyone knew the bloke. They've all come past him as they've gone into the temple. They know he's the guy that sits and begs and now there he is standing beside the apostles it's like the ultimate show and tell isn't it you've got peter and john standing there showing the work of the spirit in the power and name of our lord jesus christ and telling everyone how it is it happened It's the greatest show and tell until the religious authorities come and put a stop to it. Jerusalem hadn't seen anything like this since Jesus had walked there. And there's actually huge similarities between what Luke has recorded for us in Acts 4 and what he records in Luke 22. It's a huge contrast between the arrest of Peter and John and the arrest of of Jesus, I hope you can see those colours. They're the similarities between Acts four one to seven and Luke twenty two forty seven to seventy. Both of these events start in the evening. Both times, while they are speaking, they are confronted with this group that has come. Both are arrested. Both are brought before the religious authorities and asked, who are you? What is the name? Identity is key there. Can you imagine what Peter's heart rate would have been like as he's standing in the midst of these religious leaders? It's the same bunch of men who got Jesus crucified the same names. And Peter and John were there the night Jesus was judged guilty. They know that when it comes to these men and a the judgment they make, it has less to do with serving the truth and more to do with serving themselves. There's a massive power imbalance. The truth doesn't seem to matter to these men. Peter and John are outnumbered, outdressed, outeducated, and seemingly outresourced. This is how you do intimidation 101. The last time Peter was in this situation, the intimidation worked. He didn't even have to get in the room. Peter is known as the one who denied Jesus. He's famous for succumbing to intimidation. I wonder if you can remember a time when you felt intimidated. I can remember the early days of playing senior football. And I rock up on putting my, my gear on and this team we're about to play. It's, I mean, I was in my teens, my mid-teens, and these blokes out on the field that I was going to be playing against had been shaving for longer than I'd been alive. And they're outside the 18-yard box and just hitting the top corners at will. Yeah. yeah let's go play. Intimidation, right? See, so we can be intimidated by people. Maybe there's a pest or someone like that, you know, who's intimidating. Maybe just standing up publicly in front of people is intimidating. We can be intimidated by a task Maybe there's workload. Maybe there's a conflict, an interpersonal conflict you've got to deal with. And we can absolutely be intimidated by nature, monstered by a storm, and we are helpless. What we'll notice about the boldness of Peter and John is that it comes from three features, as I've already mentioned. The first feature is that they are convinced of their Messiah. Verses 8 to 12 of Acts 4. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. They are convinced. That Jesus is the Messiah. Now we can see a contrast between Peter, can't we? He's gone from denying the name of Jesus to declaring the name of Jesus boldly. He was convinced that Jesus was his Messiah. At times, the church today can appear quite unconvinced that Jesus is the Messiah. Sometimes we look for morality to be our Messiah. When we look for morality to be our Messiah, we will fight for law over love, just like the Pharisees would fight for Moses over Jesus. We will fight like our eternal life depends on the morality of our society rather than our eternal life depending on the living, breathing Saviour who loves us. ScoMo is not our Messiah. The church in Australia must be careful not to put their salvation hopes in him, There is no politician or church leader that can save us. Not Piper nor Carson, not Luther nor Calvin can save us. The Apostle Peter says unequivocally, Jesus alone. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Who is your Messiah today? Where is your faith for life in? The early followers of Jesus were convinced that Jesus was their Messiah. But not just that, they were also confident in their message. Starting with verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognised that they had been with Jesus, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. To verse 18. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. See, both the religious leaders and the apostles have the same choice to make, had to choose what to do with the evidence of what they had heard and what they had seen. And the choice was pretty simple. You either declare Jesus or you deny him. Look with me at verses 13 and 14. The leaders are astonished by what the apostles are saying. And they're speechless at the sight of the formerly crippled man standing in front of their eyes. But verse 18 shows us that they choose to deny Jesus. And their choice is not based on evidence. Verse 17 says, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. It's the same as what they are doing with Jesus, isn't it? They were denying. What was so obvious, and their denial was not based on evidence, it was based on the choice they had made in their hearts. This isn't the first time the religious heavyweights have been forced to make a judgment when it comes to the name of Jesus. In Matthew 26, verse 66, When Jesus is standing before them, the high priest says to the council, What is your judgment? And they answered, He deserves death. And here's proof that we serve a loving and gracious God. The same men who pronounced judgment. On Jesus, who accused him of being a blasphemer and worthy of death, are given both the evidence and the opportunity to now declare him as Lord. They killed their Saviour, yet they are given another chance. Though they spat in his face and mocked his suffering, Suffering that was happening on their behalf, their gracious and loving God gives them another go. Astonishingly, they deny Him once more. How many of us have found ourselves in a similar sort of situation? Given the evidence. Jesus is Saviour and Lord, yet chosen to, not to deny him. Once more, their decision to who is Jesus is rejection. They both have undeniable evidence, but the, de- the choice that the apostles and the leaders make are poles apart. Where the leaders say Jesus is not to be spoken of, Peter and John say we can't help but to speak of him. Who is Jesus to you this morning? Is he someone to deny? Or is he someone to declare? Peter and John's message was pretty simple. They simply spoke, Of what they had heard and seen. It's such a temptation for us, isn't it, to get caught up in the, the how of church and evangelism at the expense of the what behind church and evangelism. And there are two things that have been a great challenge for me that I'd like to share with you. The gospel of Jesus Christ is powerful. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is practical. Let me say that first statement slightly differently. The gospel of Jesus Christ is powerful. See, it's the gospel of Jesus that has the power. It's not the presenter. It's not the performance. It's not the event that is put on. It is the gospel of Jesus that contains the power. There is nothing we can do to make something more attractive. The gospel of Jesus Christ is also practical. One thing we know for sure at this time of year is that assignments do not write themselves. I've tried. I've tried. Exams won't sit themselves. We need to be involved. If we want the gospel to be shared, we need to be willing to share it. That's the example that the early believers set for us they were committed to their mission we see in verse 29 now lord consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant jesus after they prayed the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So the followers are keenly aware of the opposition they are faced with. And what do they pray? They say, consider those threats, Lord, and enable us, what, to have protection of, from the authorities? No. To be kept safe? No. To have relief from these hardships? No. To, to be able to witness within our comfort zone? No. They pray for boldness. And that's what they get. The apostles get arrested in the very next chapter of Acts. Stephen is then seized the chapter after that. That is then followed in the next chapter by Stephen being stoned to death. And in chapter 8, Paul sta- uh, Saul starts kicking down doors and dragging Christians off to prison. The believers don't pray for an easy road. They prayed for courage to remain faithful, they prayed for boldness to be able to put the words around the works. Of the Holy Spirit. When hard stuff came their way, they actually adopted a posture of boldness. They didn't adopt a posture of offense, of attacking those around them like they were their enemies. Nor did they adopt a defensive posture and slink away from the challenges they were facing. They got bold. They got bold in prayer. And they got bold in practice. They got bold in prayer. What they had seen and heard gave them reason to pray for opportunities to be bold. The word and the work of Jesus was their foundation. And that should give us reason to be bold as well, shouldn't it? Do you believe that Jesus is alive? Do you believe that Jesus is alive? Yes. So be bold and pray for opportunities to share that good news. Boldness in prayer is the first step of us being a bold community, but it is not the only step. We also need to be bold in practice. The mission of God, the sharing of the gospel in this world, does not happen by osmosis. It will take us to be willing to be vulnerable and to be used by God in this task. God will answer our prayers for opportunities, but we must be willing to take those opportunities when they come. God is giving us a story to share, not a secret to keep. The story of what Jesus has done for us. The story of what Jesus is doing in and through us as his people. And being a bold community will be intimidating. It will make our hearts race. But God is faithful. If we are courageous, we will be rewarded with those opportunities. Our success in taking these opportunities, our success in being bold, Will depend on what where our boldness comes from, what it's based on. Will it be based on our own power and our own resources? Or will it be based on the power of God and His resources? Will it be based on the protections of our society or will it be based on the promises of God? Will our boldness be based on our faith and trust in God, trusting in his word and his resources, not on our words and our resources? Friends, if we want that to be us, we are not to fear, but we need to get familiar. We need to get more familiar with the word of God. We need to read it regularly. We need to read it in chunks. We need to get familiar with the work of God. We need to talk to fellow Christians about what is happening in their lives. What is God doing in your life? What have you heard about God doing? Friends, God is working through bold prayer just this week. God is working through his word. We need to share these stories with one another and allow it to give us boldness so that we have faith in the face of fear. Christians should be known for their boldness. We should be a bold community of believers. In our culture today, we need to adopt a bold posture. Not a defensive posture. We're not to retreat behind the walls of our church. We're not to adopt an offensive posture. We're not to be attacking those in our world like they are our enemy. They are our mission field. We need to be bold. We need to be faithful in the face of of that fear? What might it look like for you to be bold in prayer? What are some of the things that you could start praying? What might it look like for you to be bold in practice? What walls need to come down a little? What opportunities do you need to take that you know are being presented to you? Wherever... You work, live, or study. Friends, we need to be convinced of our Messiah, Jesus. We need to be confident in our message, the good news that Jesus has died so that we may have life. And we need to be committed to our mission. Let's stay faithful in the face of of fear. Let me pray. Our loving Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a loving and gracious God. We thank you that you're a God of second chances. Father, as the evidence is shown to us through what we see and what we hear, what we read, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit will be doing his work in us father we pray that you'll make us a bold community that we will be bold in our prayer that we will be bold in our practice as we share the good news of our lord and savior to this world amen we come to a time of communion now so if you're helping with that if you can come forward please